the edge of the known universe. Leaving the galaxy, Mr. Mitchell. Where no man has gone before. Olmec, stand by. There is a force. What's happening to me? That will give one man. They just thought of making it happen, and it does. Power beyond imagination. You've been testing your ability to take over the Enterprise. Damage reports. Nine dead. I'll just keep getting stronger. Kill Mitchell while you still can. But how do you kill a god? Ready, Captain. Star Trek. Welcome to Strange New Takes. I'm your host, Notch Karnick, and with me, slowly turning into gods are... Bill Boywad. Emily Bowen Marler. And Adam Bowen. Uh, we're This is Strange New Takes. We're going to jump right into it, but I'm going to make sure to not mention Star Trek Discovery, which is still in the notes, unfortunately. Instead, we are going to get started with a new series here. We are going to go over the pilots for each one of the Star Trek series, and obviously we should start with the original one, that's the original series, which weirdly has two pilots, but we're going to go over both of them. Uh, that is for The Cage, which was released in 1988 in its final form, and uh, the Where No Man Has Gone Before. I should probably make sure to read the title before I get going. So here we go, guys. Uh, let's, Folks, let's do it. And make sure to follow us on social media at Strange New Takes, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And uh, also please tell your friends about the pod so they can uh, listen and enjoy it as well. And uh, one of you decided to follow us uh, on iTunes and rate us a five stars, but not put anything in there for me mm. to read. So thank you, whoever went out and did that. We really appreciate that you took the effort to do it because it helps folks who are searching for Star Trek podcasts to see us higher in those search discovery lists. So yeah, and if you haven't done it yet, go and give us a five star rating. It It is helpful, as I just said. And as with all of our podcasts, we are totally going to be spoiling these episodes. At least one of them has been out for far longer than I've been alive. The other one, you know, you haven't had quite as many years to watch The Cage since it wasn't released until like around the time some of the rest of my co-hosts were born. But, um, you know, it's, it's all good. So just... If you don't want to be spoiled, maybe hold off. Wait till you've seen those episodes. But if you really don't care, then just go ahead and listen. All right. Well, as Adam said before, we're going to talk about the cage and where no man has gone before. In the cage, Captain Pike and the Enterprise, full of unrecognizable people on the bridge, except that one pointy-eared guy, uh, they show up. <laughs> Uh, these this race of mentally uh, telepathic beings captures Captain Pike. They try to get they try to like animal husband him with this woman who they have on on site as well. Uh, Captain Pike sees through that. He tries to resist. Uh, then they capture more women from the Enterprise and try to again awkwardly mate their little creatures. The, the aliens do that. Is Captain Pike doesn't let that happen, and then they finally convince the aliens to let them go. In Where No Man Has Gone Before, Captain Kirk cruelly decides to kill one of his best friends who he's known for like 15 years without a second thought. He's a cold-blooded killer. He's like, this dude needs to die. And it's horrible. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a heart-wrenching story of two men whose lives have been wrenched apart. 
Uh, did I do that justice, y'all? Is that is that what we <laughs> want? That's that's basically what I remember. Spot on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No. Sorry. Sorry. I'm I'm being I'm hearing a message in my ear. Oh yeah. That that's right. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, nope. The Enterprise <laughs> is breaking the galactic boundary. A horrible place where only one ship has gone before. They find some evidence that ESP. This you know really cool psychological theory that we've just discovered in the 60s. ESP. Some people have it, and going past the galactic boundary, the people who have it turn into gods, which happens to Kirk's best buddy friend. Gary Mitchell, uh, who starts becoming, you know, mentally, I don't know, godlike. Uh, and then strangely also starts happening to the psychologist lady who Gary Mitchell coincidentally was hitting on before. So then they decide to go off and be gods together, except then the psychologist person uh, doesn't want Kirk to die. So she helps Kirk beat Gary Mitchell. The end. Uh, did I do a better job that time? Yeah, yeah it, and okay. just as confusing as the actual episode, so we're, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Also, Gary Mitchell kills a bunch of people, but uh, and Spock smiles in that first episode of The Cage. Okay, uh, your strange new takes, please. Yeah, so my strange new take right here is that uh, uh, Pike is an enthusiast of old technology just like Tom Paris. Just take a look at that sweet little communicator that he has. <laughs> Okay. All right. My my uh, <clears throat> real world strange new take is uh, sci-fi themed. If you have a faster than light uh, drive, that by definition means that you have a time machine. It is causality violating. <clears throat> and uh, regarding these episodes, I thought the cage was better. Ooh. Uh, I will point you to the space launch system, the SLS that NASA is developing. I did not know that they were going to launch it at the end of the year. They are. It's going to be pretty cool. It's powered by four engines from the space shuttle. Pretty neat. Go read about that. But uh, in terms of this, these two episodes, I think The Cage has become my favorite original series episode, which isn't saying much, but it has. I, I kind of enjoyed it, actually, strangely enough, uh, which is... Very strange for me because I have not enjoyed any of the old original series that I've watched previous. So, well, my real life strange new take is that y'all, I didn't realize that I could have gotten married younger if only I had acted like I needed to be protected by men because that's how you propagate the species. Is if you act really weak and men feel like they need to protect you, then <laughs> you will be able to have children. Um, and my strange new take for the show is I find it interesting that the captains of the Enterprise love riding horses. What is that about? Like, is that like some, that's just really strange to me because we see that in Pike, Kirk and Picard. So I just, anyway, I don't know. Did, did, um, did Archer like to ride horses too? I, I don't know. So it's just very interesting I, to me. I, I, I feel like. There's probably a scene with it, but yeah, I I don't know that I can point to an actual episode. <laughs> well, I know that Shatner real life loves to ride horses. Yeah, no, I, yeah, his, I knew he does. But. I believe he and his wife in some sort of dispute in court had to like, argue about all this horse semen that they had frozen at some point. So <laughs> Sounds hard to wow. value. Interesting. Yeah, I, I would imagine the so. Attorneys, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, let's let's. So this is a new series for us. We're gonna change the way we discuss these, and we're gonna start with what we thought about the stories in these pilots, uh, then move on to talk about the characters, and then finally finish up with some notes about production. And then we'll put ourselves in the place of the network executives uh, back in 1965, uh, you know, talking to Gene Roddenberry and, and giving our feedback 
on what uh, on what needs to happen. And maybe we won't have opinions from 1965, much like they have in this episode. We'll have opinions from 2021. How about that? So, um, okay. With that, let's... What, what do you all think about the story in these two episodes? How... I thought it was very, like, core sci-fi, both of them. They were very, very hard science fiction uh, stories. Well, and the aliens in uh, the cage definitely have that traditional kind of alien look, you know, like the big yeah, the heads gigantic and, heads. You know. and, yeah, the, the telepathic, they can read your mind. Also, curiously, like, obsessed with sex. <laughs> yeah, that does seem to be a thing. Uh, yeah, I, I, I feel like the... They, I mean, the, the where no man has gone before has the same kind of hook where we were in terms of like old sci-fi where like, yeah, people turning into gods. And then, uh, yeah, definitely the weird ESP thing that we're obsessed with for the whole episode. And then I don't think ever really comes up again, but uh, just like a lot of Star Trek. <laughs> I think that is that is the common theme between the two, right? They have in both shows a mind reading um telepathic antagonist who is attempting to kill our captain or at least take take him hostage end his <laughs> life as he knows it um between both it's 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 done very differently in each episode in in the cage you have the you know stereotypical aliens from a little i mean the only thing missing emily from your stereotypical aliens was a little saucer um, <laughs> and, and uh in, in maybe green no skin yeah we right. blew the budget on the on the plastic boulders so uh. <laughs> no saucer uh but they had to in in where no man has gone before they you they were actually made the antagonist a member of the crew and like when he popped on screen i was like oh this who is this dude he's like way too familiar with everybody uh, you know, he's he's making fun of Spock on the elevator. So they, they, they made it somebody that our characters were intimately familiar with. They turned mm -hmm. that person against our characters. Yeah, and I, I, I feel like as far as the the hook for, for getting us interested, I I I mean, so the, the, the whole like going beyond the barrier of the galaxy is like a confusing concept to me. So like that, that, that sort of threw me off a bit. But I, I do like the idea of having... Um, us having to deal with like betrayal of our own friends and like work like having the problem come from within our own crew. So I, th I thought that that was a pretty effective way to get us kind of interested in the development of the whole Gary Mitchell thing. Um, whereas the 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 cage kind of it, it felt like it kept trying to avoid going to actually deal with the distress signal. Like we have the the whole uh, for quite a while. He's like, oh, we're not going to go there because there's uh, there's no one that's dead there or there's no one that's that's still alive. So like we're not going to investigate. You just touched on something tangentially, which I think is a really important thing. The cage opens with Pike dealing with deaths on his watch, which is kind of the same way Star Trek Beyond almost opens up as well with with Kirk kind of dealing with the fact that they've been out in space doing this thing. But Pike is mourning his, the, the deaths on, I think, was it Rigel 4? And he's dealing with his feelings of being in command and getting people on his watch killed, which I thought was interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he, he's, a, he's a lot more uh, haunted than we're used to seeing uh, in terms of our, our, our captains on, on Star Trek. 
uh, I, I suppose we we get into that with Discovery and uh, Lorca, but he's haunted because of a different reason, mm-hmm. uh, which we can get into. <laughs> yeah, I, I found that quite compelling, actually. I mean, I, maybe it's kind of like creative writing 101, but you're you know thrown into the story and the characters. And of course, the captain is like conflicted and thinking about quitting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the events transpire that will lead to some resolution. And I, I, I actually liked it in the scene he has with Dr. Boyce. <clears throat> yeah, Where No Man Has Gone Before was much more of a straightforward episode of like, all the characters are in their places. Now they deal with a story. There's no like, there's nothing that's happened prior mm. to that episode that is significantly referred to. Yeah, they weren't trying to like establish, they were only trying to establish character interest or an or a character intrigue really with the second pilot that wasn't yeah. the point where it felt like where where no man got oh my gosh it felt like in the cage they were trying to do something more than just tell a sci-fi story it felt like they were trying to tell a character driven story as well and that story was hyper sexualized <laughs> yeah the yeah it, it, there's there's lots of um I don't know. It's it's interesting because we 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 had that brief moment at the beginning where uh, I I was surprised that we didn't have soft focus on the first woman that we that we look at uh, in in the the cage, but uh, we immediately then demean uh, the possibility of having women on the bridge at all. But uh, I, I suppose what's interesting about Pike is that he's not sort of the 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 womanizer or whatever that has become popularized out of Kirk, where he he's sort of a kind of curmudgeonly uh, haunted dude. And uh, we're sort of putting him into the, uh, maybe what a, a, the storyline that I more associate with Kirk. Um, but yeah, so it was, it was interesting seeing the, the contrast with that. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the concept of the cage is that these aliens are trying to repopulate their planet by having the humans procreate. Did I pick up on that correctly? Cause I think that there was a certain element of, complexity to this plot that i haven't watched it twice so i i wasn't fully able to pick up on it but that was what i that was what i got is that these these aliens need pike and vena to start having sex and making babies yeah Yeah. to to be like slaves kind of or something like that i yeah um and so essentially the plot then revolves around pike resisting or the aliens putting pike and vena into these like compromising positions and pike resisting whereas vena is basically being tortured into not like resisting what the aliens are trying to do pike tries to find ways to to work against their uh their control because he hasn't had his spirit broken over several years presumably um and so yeah i i I think it is a it is I thought that the story was kind of compelling in that first one. I, I found it an interesting kind of thing. It was somewhat simplistic and I think I, I would have found it more complex perhaps in the sixties to watch. And but now after watching a lot of other science fiction over the years and, and how science fiction plots have it, become much more complex, mm-hmm. uh, it is a little bit more simplistic. But I did enjoy kind of watching how the aliens put these two into different positions and and how Pike was able to kind of find the like little weaknesses in their ability to control minds, you know, how he realized, Oh, these primitive emotions, they can't like 
they can't pick up on those and it kind of became almost like a detective uh mm-hmm. game for pike and i enjoyed that part of it um the, the, how he was basically resisting it i also think that they there was a lot of potential for like um much cruder sexualization like i feel like i almost feel like if enterprise was dealing with this plot it would be a lot more cringy than if <laughs> than the than the cage uh, this um, is pretty bad i was pretty infuri- infuriated while i was watching this episode like yeah i have lots of this is super gross. I hate this. I'm angry kind of notes in my head. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what the aliens are doing is gross, right? Like by definition, it, it is kind of disgusting what they're trying to do. And um, I guess they, what I'm saying is, I guess they didn't have Pike putting gel on her back. Yeah. Uh, but they, they, they had her dress up as an Orion slave girl. And then they have all yeah. the leering men. Like that was the scene yeah. that was the grossest for me. It's like, mm-hmm. that's all women are. It's just something for men to leer at and to be like, Ooh, you know, you want to do this. You know, I mean, it's just, it's yeah. so disgusting. Well, and I'm and so it, tired of that women being used for that purpose. It, it, that part also surprised. Cause it, I, I had completely blanked out on that. That was like one of the things that uh, was part of this episode. Um, Cause it, I think the last time I saw the cage was maybe almost 10 years ago. And uh, it's just interesting thinking that like, that's the lifestyle that, uh, that Pike is considering. Like why is like, why, why is that like his, like, I don't know, maybe I'll become, I'll like own some Orions and then like be like a sleazy trader or something like that. I will say that's what the doctor says he he could do. It's not what he says he wants to do. Uh, in the right. okay. one scene. Yeah, that, was, that was interesting. I picked up on thing, that too. Yeah, I the what I wrote was I from, specifically from that um, Orion scene. Women are just something to be taken advantage of. Men know this. Men do this. So their fantasy is of going to a planet where women enjoy it. And that's basically yeah. what that was telling us. Like, like, look, this is the best place you could go. Because we know that's the only reason that women exist is so we can take advantage of them and figure out how best to get what we want and we need out of them. But wouldn't it be awesome if women actually liked that and actually wanted us to do that? Let's create a planet where we can that can be the reality. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> awful. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, at at the core of this episode is basically these aliens have traumatized this one person who they have under their control where, you know, she's willing to go along with their kind of disgusting things that they want to have happen. And mm-hmm. it's it it comes down to our captain deciding not to not to go along with it. I guess it, it, it it's interesting to think about because ever since you said like the animal husbandry side of this, like. It has been make, made me think like, were the writers thinking about whether it's ethical to like uh, house uh, animals in zoos at all, or have animals uh, that we're trying to have reproduce for either farming or for, uh, yeah, like the the living in captivity uh, aspect of it, which, mm, I, I I don't know. I I feel like de- definitely that could be something in in a story today, but I don't know how much people were thinking about that. Uh, also, I mean, this is this is. Or whatever. Also, an early episode of the Orville, I think the second episode, if I'm not mistaken, deals with almost exactly this plot, right? Like the the, the captain and the first officer get captured by a and put into like an alien zoo by these aliens. Oh, yeah. Um, so it, it's, yeah, I mean it's 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 got that side of things, and NBC picked up on that. They they um, 
I think I think they thought that this was somewhat over-sexualized for the time. And so that's why I, I picked up on that too. And I was like, I was surprised that somebody made this in the 60s. Or maybe I have like kind of this, um, you know, this this element of like your grandparents are from the 60s and you don't want to <laughs> place them in a sexualized <laughs> situation. So you, you well, forget there... that, uh, the, that sort of thing existed back then. There were a number of lines, like there was the one line where Vina made some comment about like, well, what do you expect me to, like, I do need to be wearing clothing, don't I? You know, I mean, oh, like, yeah, yeah. like, they just, they found lots of ways to throw that in. Yeah. And yeah, it was, um, I think picking up on, on the sexism a little bit as well, I, 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 it was really odd. Like, you know, you put a, you put a, a woman as the first officer of the ship, number one, you have another one coming up and working on the bridge as the yeoman. And then you have the captain being like, mm, women on the bridge, weird. How strange. Like, it just didn't, I, I don't know what, like, what the intention was over there. Like, um, yeah, like, it, 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 it seemed a bit like the, we're setting up like a seventh grade romance between the captain and, uh, and number one, where it's like, oh, well, I'm, I don't treat you like a, you're not a girl to me or whatever. Like, and then like, we, we discover that she is a girl to him in like episode 17 or something. But like, yeah, it, it was, uh, I, I felt like it, like, I didn't know if they felt like they needed to, like, make up for that there was a woman on the bridge by, like, making sure that the captain doesn't approve of it or something. It, it was a weird way to take things. Well, and all the women are, like, in love with the captain. Mm -hmm. I mean, every yes. woman they featured in the show, like, they they were told that, to, I mean, it seems like they were told to play it as though they had feelings for the captain or, mm -hmm. or attracted to him or something. And then they explicitly say it later when they yeah. beam all the women down, which was like when they, so I, I appreciated that Spock actually called the women the women instead of the, the girls. Women. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Every... <laughs> yeah the women. Like, that I was, was like, so hey. funny. It really like, was. <laughs> like, they don't have names. Right, right. right. <laughs> Exactly. exactly. But at least they weren't the girls. So, yeah, Spock you know. has the respect for them to call them the women instead of the girls. But, you know, then they talk about that whole thing. You know, what they, they say that number one has these hidden hidden fantasies about him or hidden yeah, feelings yeah, about yeah. him. And then the yeoman, she has, um, what, did, what did they say about her? Unusually uh, strong female drive. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. That <laughs> like, was what I... does that even mean? <laughs> Well, and then later on, she like at, like brings it up again on the bridge, which you're just like, yeah, who would have been one, Eve? Ugh. Who brings that stuff up in the workplace? Which, yeah, mo moving on to where no man has gone before, the part where Gary Mitchell like reaches out and grabs that woman's hand who's standing behind him when the ship is like, <laughs> oh getting... yeah, that was such a weird. Yeah. Did uh, you notice it... that the other that the doctor was holding someone's hand as well? The doctor. Really? Um, yes, both women on the bridge had to reach out and hold the hand of a man because they were afraid, and women are afraid, and we need to be protected. And so they, I mean, like anyway, because you can't, you can barely see it, but you can see yeah, kind of behind I... Captain Kirk, her hands kind of back because she's uh, holding on. But, to yeah, I, but I was looking at Gary's hand, which is why I, I didn't see the other one. But it, it, it was it was interesting because it both in both instances it feels like you could have seen that scene and not noticed it because it it didn't seem like that there wasn't any like direction for like pan the camera over to look at their hands or whatever it's it's just like for some reason it's normal for us to just like hold hands on the bridge uh when scary <laughs> things are happening which i mean some of this oh the other thing was gary mitchell kind of hitting on that psychologist lady as soon as she comes on the bridge which was another one of those like what the hell is going on it kind of contrasted a little bit with how much more 
militaristic the story was like there's all this like military dialogue of like on the bridge they're calling out like okay we're gonna do this you know i I don't know exactly how to put it but it it had that like you're watching a submarine movie it's not like the feel of a bridge on tng or any of these other more recent star treks did y'all pick up on that at all i didn't notice it but I, I, just, I just felt like there was more of that, like, helm three quarters, helm three quarters, yes, sir. And then, oh, like, yeah, there was definitely a know. lot of, uh, and like, Spock had to, like, yell at uh, all of his orders to people. Yes, and, I did yeah. notice that. Right. Spock was very excited about how he delivered <laughs> news to people. <laughs> yeah, I, I just felt like there was a more formal kind of military feel to the, mm-hmm. the interactions between our characters, which, again, which is why it was contrasted so greatly with this aspect of then uh them breaking all of that because there are women around it was it was kind of strange but um yeah i mean these are the issues with the original series like this is why i can't watch it very much um and which is why the cage i feel like in a, in a funny way them being like oh yeah the, the 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 aliens are the one who are creating all this sexualization i think it helped me get over the the sexualization of and the sexism of the series a little bit because then mm-hmm. I could like compartmentalize and be like, oh, these evil, horrible aliens are doing this. It's not like the producer of our show, um, <laughs> which is which is why I can I can I think watch the cage. Whereas with a lot of the original series, otherwise it's just kind of like I can't. Mm. It's just too you, much. This is totally not like a story and writing thing, but I'm trying to remember. Maybe this is production, so I should have saved it. But are the uniforms like was Captain Pike's? uniform similar to captain kirk's in this when okay so so they had the okay it's so hard because they show them out of order if you're watching them on netflix so you wouldn't watch you'd watch where no man has gone before i think it's number episode four um but anyway so i was trying to remember that i think i think kirk has that kind of like captain sweater thing uh for several different episodes like I, i i feel like it it's it's yeah it might not be like every single one of them but it's uh it it, it shows up again, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, they the definitely want yeah. Captain Kirk to be seen as sexy, though. The way they show... They show Captain mm-hmm. Kirk is sexier than Captain Pike. Even though they have Captain Pike in this kind of sexualized story as far as, you know, yeah. be, being Adam and Eve or whatever. Because you had the ripped shirt with Captain Kirk. Gotta have the ripped shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Who yeah. knew? I didn't realize it was so iconic. They had it in the pilot as well. <laughs> so, uh, I did think... That there was an interesting aspect, you know, with with where no man has gone before, where they have the the in the end the good guy, quote unquote, who say who helps Kirk defeat Mitchell is the the psychologist, mm-hmm. and so I feel like this is this is the thing with with Star Trek, and you know that they have some very overtly sexist things, but then you can see that they're they're letting the woman be the person who whereas the man is too weak with his power and decides to go amok and kill everybody. It's the woman who like saves the ship. So I feel like there there is something there of like, you know, with with how progressive Star Trek is portrayed as, you know, there's a lot of talk about, well, it's progressive for the time, whatever that means. It's difficult for me sometimes to perceive that. Like this was mm-hmm. considered progressive at the time. <laughs> but they but there are, I feel like, story elements that kind of show that our our producers maybe had a little bit more leeway in how they were portraying. Maybe? I don't know. Maybe I'm just reaching. Well, you know, there's something interesting. And Bill, I feel like we should let you talk more because you haven't spoken very much. But I'm going to make this point and then you can say something. <laughs> but, <laughs> no. So, 
you know what's interesting about that is there's a line earlier when um, Kirk and Gary are talking, or Kirk and Mitchell are talking about, um, you know, when they first knew each other. So I get the feeling that Kirk was a professor or something or taught yeah, some classes Lieutenant and Kirk. that's how. Yeah, so, um, and then Mitchell was able to distract him with a blonde lab technician or something that he yeah. sent mm-hmm. his way and that distracted him or whatever. And then I find it interesting that here we have at the end of the story, um, a blonde, mm-hmm. you know, stand in for that lab technician who doesn't distract Kirk, but in fact ends up distracting Gary. Like it's almost like it gets flipped or something, but that's kind of an interesting that they would have that little call out earlier in the episode. And then you have us like his own kind of dynamic playing out at the end too. Yeah. That, that, that is an interesting way to, cause like the, where we, we do give more agency to the women in the show, but it's, it's, I feel like in in every instance it's it's still like with a with a heavy cost of like uh she's just like uh is really enamored with the idea of of Gary Mitchell or whatever like it, it's it's still so, like it felt very much to me like uh how in Space Seed we have mm-hmm. uh I I forget who she is but like uh one of the women on the Enterprise just like falls in love with Khan like because of I have no idea uh and the it it just it's like such an overused plot point in the original series um which i guess maybe i can't criticize the pilot for using an overused plot point <laughs> but uh yeah it's it's it, like e- even while we're giving some sort of more uh agency and like progressive tones to things we undercut it the whole way i want to say that it's marla evers in space seed oh in space seed mm. okay Well, this is a good point to take a break. We'll come back and talk about characters and much more. Spock. It's me. Vina. Don't you recognize me? What's happened to him? Who are you? I'm an old friend of Captain Christopher Pike. Is is Chris, is he coming back as well? Are you saying Captain Pike and Spock have both been here before? Well, in some ways, Captain Pike never left. I was a crew member on a survey ship that crashed here when I was young. Long ago. Then, Talosians put me back together. That's the easiest way to explain it. I'm Commander Michael Burnham. They welcome you, Commander, and ask that you join them below the surface. They're speaking to you now? Beam down with Spock so they can examine him. What do you mean, examine? You brought us here because you knew the Telosians could help you. Have you been in communication with them? They assure you, your shuttle will be safe here. Welcome back to Strange New Takes. Let's move on to, to talking about our characters a little bit. Um, and I think when we when we talk about... The characters we have to start with the two captains pike versus kirk pike is a much more uh subdued this is not the pike of the movies this is not the pike of the uh discovery uh, anson mount portrayal this is a very subdued almost unemotional like even i can't the the, the like the most emotion I, I feel like i remember him showing was when he was doing that like hate like he was trying to like be hateful but even that mm-hmm. was like 
<laughs> you you can you can see William Shatner doing that a little bit differently, I think. Uh, <laughs> um, and so uh, I I didn't see Pike as a very emotional person, um, and Kirk, I think this isn't quite the Kirk that we see later in the series. He's still a little bit more subdued, but you do see some of those like flare flare ups of who Kirk becomes later. Yeah, I I feel like we're. Um... It's it's interesting because P- Pike is, I, I don't know. I I feel like all of my memories of Pike have been rewritten by two thousand nine and from the uh, the Discovery series because, like, Pike here is kind of just an unluck unlikable, like unhappy captain who is the the main is like the main interaction he seems to have with his crew except for the Doctor is just like to be, kind of an asshole. Uh, and e- even at the end of the episode, he's just like extremely grumpy with everybody, and it's uh, it's it's a very s- different tone from. Uh, uh, I-, I feel like Kirk was pretty immediately likable. We have kind of the the banter between him and uh, Spock, like opening up the uh, where no man has gone before, and it's just a. Um, I, I I don't know that there's a there's a charisma I feel that Kirk has that uh, Pike is missing out on. So in an example of how real life informs the way we view things in our current situation, I had some sympathy for Pike. Um, You know, there's that scene with, I think it's a great scene. I think, Bill, you mentioned this. It's a great scene between Boyce and and Pike in Pike's quarters, you know, he brings the drink, you know, a man will tell his bartender something he won't tell his doctor, you know. But then there's a line where uh, Boyce says, Chris, you set standards for yourself that no one else could meet. And as soon as he said that, I was like, oh, wow, that's totally me. You know, like, and I just started thinking about, you know, I mean, Pike's experiencing burnout. You know, he's had some really traumatic experiences, really trying experiences. And he's he's reconsidering what he wants to do with his life now. You know, that's kind of I was like, hmm, I feel that way sometimes as someone who's tried to take a week off two weeks in a row now and it hasn't happened you know but it's just i was like i think i sympathize with captain pike so i found that interesting too but again i think that they were trying they were kind of setting it up more like we were going to go on a character journey mm-hmm. with the captain and that's not how that's not how ultimately original series ended up being because they picked someone who was just kind of charismatic from the start the way captain kirk is yeah and then you know shatner or captain kirk also has spock as the foil right so Mm -hmm. spock is the one telling him like look you just got to kill him (laughs) you know (laughs) and then kirk gets to be the good guy and be like no i can't do that he's my friend and you know yeah i think um shatner's kirk was also a much more i think he seemed a little bit more even with his crew, whereas Pike was more like giving orders and like yeah. they weren't they weren't on his level. Whereas I think with with Kirk, even when he assembles the senior officers, when he's talking to all of his crew, he's he's more like um, th- there there wasn't the scene where Pike is like dressing down the the yeoman for like bumping into him on the bridge or whatever, or not getting his sheet at like five o'clock, or whatever it was. Like there wasn't any of that stuff with Kirk. Kirk seemed like more of his like charismatic buddy to his his crew except in that scene except in that scene around the table i don't know i'm going to call it the ready room even though it's not called the ready room there Mm -hmm. but um when dr daner is talking like she's kind of taking issue with how spock is talking about mitchell yeah um and so she kind of pushes against that and kirk's like we you know you can't talk about him like he kind of dresses her down a little bit the way he doesn't want her to be sympathetic 
to Mitchell. She just, he just wants her and everyone else at that table to look at him as not Mitchell anymore, but as some other being that's taken over. See, I read that as him having to deal with his own feelings of that sort because they've been mm. buddies for so long. Like I, I thought, I, mm. I, what I read that is him having heard from Spock, I gotta kill this dude and maroon him because that, that was actually one of the other pieces of dialogue. Like, the women! The da- piece of dialogue that stuck in my mind is, and maroon him. Or, like, you know, <laughs> when he's doing that voiceover. Uh, so that's how I read it, was that he was, that she was expressing what he's feeling. And so he has to, like, kind of compensate for that by by lashing out a little bit. But, um, I, yeah, I, I, I yeah. I, I, I get I think that's that for me that's what makes Kirk a little bit more likable of the the two captains at least as portrayed in the pilots because I, I feel like when we have Kirk lashing out at people there's a more like I, I feel maybe a bit of why he's doing it like he's uncomfortable with the situation and we've seen and we can get why he might be and that's why he's doing it whereas uh Pike is I mean I, I get that we're, we're giving him more, a more like tragic backstory or a uh, and he's dealing with burnout so like he would be like an asshole <laughs> at times and whatnot but it's uh i i feel less connected to him which is maybe just a, a personal thing yeah i think the other thing that we got to talk about is are the two spocks um which strange new which discovery has tried to explain it to a certain extent uh especially the short trek where uh, Spock and number one meet that they're showing kind of this greener Spock as this smiley, funny mm-hmm. person. And then Spock later on, bec- it grows into this more unemotional character. Uh, so what did y'all think of the two Spocks? Well, so well, the way I understand it is that in the cage, <clears throat> number one was supposed to be like the super like rational one. And Spock really is far as i can tell is has no distinguishing characteristics aside from his makeup um and then in where no man has gone before spock takes on that you know rational you know hyper logical perspective which then becomes part of like the defining traits of the vulcans as a species and it works so well and i think it's actually very hard to do with characters in general to have that be their defining characteristics that they're super logical and boring which i think is one of the one of the issues with michael burnham right and and for for some reason and i i can't articulate it but it works so well with spock and with leonard nimoy in particular i think i think you have to also turn to jerry ryan and jolene blalock with that because i for a long time i have considered the two of them to be some of the best actors in their respective series voyager and enterprise because of exactly that they're able to take a character that shows no emotion is supposed to be coldly logical and infuse them with some sort of like connection to the audience right Mm -hmm. like they're able to portray portray emotional complexity despite that and that i think leonard nimoy also has that same quality Mm -hmm. i think he has just like seven of nine to an extent he has the crutch of like he's half human so that there is some ability to show some emotion sometimes which uh, Jolene Blalock did not have uh, when, when she portrayed this character. But this is something that you see over and over again. Brent Spiner is another person mm-hmm. who had to play a, a very similar kind of character. So um, we, we see that getting its start with Spock in mm-hmm. Where No Man Has Gone Before. Mm-hmm. It was very strange to see Spock smiling at that plot, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, it, it was that they kind of refined his look too a little between the two pilots because his hair, like he he's he's a little more severe looking in mm-hmm. uh, where no man has gone before than yeah. in the uh, cage. Yeah, but you know, I did kind of like how in the cage he's just this like alien dude, and he has kind of a funny name, and he's like different, and that's it, and he's just like there, and he's just part of the crew, and they don't you know go into it at all. <clears throat> it was. It's also strange seeing all of the different characters on both series play in, in, in like the the two doctors are not McCoy. The um the the Helms people are different. Sulu is is uh just at that briefing room scene as far as I can tell. I don't know mm-hmm. if I saw him on the bridge. He was on the bridge, but he was standing he was. as part of a group. He wasn't okay. seated at a station. Right. And and so it was kind of both of these pilots, I think they don't really besides the captain and Spock and maybe Scotty and where no man has gone before, we don't really see our favorite characters like in their places. Uhura and McCoy don't appear in the, in Mm -hmm. either at all. Um, So as far as like establishing where our cast of characters is, it's just something that I think when we go through the other pilots, it'll be very firm that, okay, these are our main people and these are not. Mm -hmm. For example, the Gary Mitchell thing, I got very confused. I was like, is Gary Mitchell supposed to be like a main character? Like are they, are they setting him up to be that uh, because they were they they weren't setting it wasn't clear to me who was supposed to be coming back and who wasn't. Mm-hmm. Well, something else, you know, I don't know if you all noticed this, but I feel that the smartest person on the crew in the cage was the doctor. Like Doctor Boyce just seemed he he got what the aliens were doing. You know, he understood that like we can't trust everything that we're right. seeing because they can make us believe whatever they want us to believe you know anyway so i just i found him to be compelling because he's just really intelligent he just seemed to get it more than the other characters that by the way was a really cool plot point do i really enjoyed the part where they were like yeah actually this laser i think has burst a hole through that thing you're just not letting me see it mm-hmm. and yeah i think that's one of the reasons i enjoyed the cage was because they had that level of like hoodwinking you know almost like agatha christie style like detective stuff which i Mm -hmm. i appreciated yeah i I thought there was just more intrigue in general like like you said notch it was kind of like a a great kind of basic high level sci-fi concept and in the beginning of the episode you know um before it's revealed that there were the telosians who were kind of behind the curtain orchestrating everything um, there's a, a nice little mystery and then this kind of more more heady stuff about like can you even trust what you're seeing with your own eyes and I, th- I think it's you know pretty well done yeah yeah for sure um let's let's while we're here we, we've discussed this a little bit with the discussion of sexism earlier but we should discuss the women who are on both ships um in their roles. I'll just start us off by saying that Magil Barrett's character number one was the first one written in all of Star Trek. Uh, they, like Gene Roddenberry knew he needed a captain, but the first character he actually wrote out was number one's. Oh, interesting. Hmm. That is interesting. Is it because he was having an affair with her at the time and <laughs> wanted to get her in the pilot? <laughs> I mean, Sorry, I, I love Majel Barrett, so that's that's not disparaging her at all. But <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know um, how that happened. In I haven't I haven't deep dived into Star Trek lore, but I do think it's kind of uh, interesting in in terms of 
the fact that that character then is is supposed to be important to Gene Roddenberry, you think if that's the first character he's writing, but then he like writes that character out of the second one. Or put, kind of puts her, I think he combines her with Spock. Like, I really do think that that mm-hmm. was, mm-hmm. you know, it was kind of like they, I think they liked those characteristics, but they just put them into Spock instead of into number one. Yeah. And so especially that's how number he, one lived on. He kind of didn't have a, a character, like anything about his character besides like maybe being a little bit weird uh, in the first episode. Right. And then, the and, and then Spock literally does become captain, the captain's number one. Mm-hmm. because he is the second in command of the ship so yeah um i i i also wonder what would have happened to yeoman colt um if if they had maintained that character uh through the through through the series if if the cage had been picked up and not where no man has gone before and and if that character would have become uh, a regular or whether they would have had that character just be a one-off in that episode. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause they, I, I feel like there are some recurring yeomans in uh, the original series, but I, I honestly don't remember any of their names. There's, there's Yeoman Rand. Janice Rand. Yes. Okay. I do. Rec- I do recall that name, but uh, it's, I, I don't feel like they, they flesh them out as much as uh, most of the other characters. At the very least, like the Star Trek 2009 did not have any yeomans in it. Uh, it's because like that's not the part that anyone remembers. Well, and they had Yeoman, Yeoman Rand was supposed to be the big love interest for Kirk, and they kind of played it a little bit, but she left the series because she experienced some. Well, I think it may have been like sexual assault or harassment or something mm. not good that that she mm. experienced uh, while she was doing Star Trek. Um. Something that I noticed about, uh, so clearly uh, 1960s thoughts about women were infused into how they wrote the pilot. But something that I picked up, um, so we mentioned in The Cage, oh, I just can't get used to seeing a woman on the bridge, right? Mm -hmm. So, but then in um, Where No Man Has Gone Before, uh, Dr. Daner says something to the effect of... um, uh, women professionals still have to overcompensate or women professionals have to often have a tendency to overcompensate. And yeah. I'm like, women professionals still have to overcompensate in the 23rd century. Are you kidding me? Like <laughs> <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> so. Yeah. It, it, it was making me think that uh, like Star Trek and the original series ends as it began where like just disparaging women and like not believing that they have any right to be on the bridge. Like it's this, the same in the, the last episode. <laughs> So they also have this uh, this feeling that women are supposed to just, you know, they're they're weak and they fall for men. And, you know, that's that's kind of how they're driven, because they have that scene in the sick bay with Gary Mitchell, where he, re- you know, Dr. Daner hands him, you know, has him read this page. And it's this sonnet. And it's like the most passionate sonnet. And she like literally falls into his arms <laughs> because he says this sonnet. And then like what he does with her after that is really gross. Like he takes his hand through her hair and, oh, yeah, like, and then, then he puts his hand up to his mouth like i mean it's he, like, so keeps, super gross yeah he keeps like smelling and tasting it for like yes, the rest of that scene yes. it's, yeah it's, <laughs> it's really gross but it's just but it was that notion like she was just weakened by him even reading a sonnet because you know that's how i am whenever a man's like reading some poetry i'm just like oh gosh i just can't handle it anymore i need to i must have him so yeah it's it's um i i don't think anyone's gonna accuse either of these episodes in terms of the the 
uh, of having any complexity when it comes to romance or like uh, any of that stuff in terms of how they portray it at all. And it's, I think it's too, and I hope that we get, um, I hope that we get some complexity in terms of the relationships between the crew and Strange New Worlds, because mm-hmm. I, I wonder how much of, of what we've seen in the cage is going to be carried through, because that element of the fact that number one has some feelings for Pike, um, while it was awkward and, and weird in the way that it was portrayed in this episode, kind of referring to fantasies, mm-hmm. uh, it, I, I wonder if they're going to maintain any of that in... In Strange New Worlds, I wonder because they've also had some sort of weird thing happen between her and Spock in the in the short trek, where they where they I mean where they had that kind of weird singing moment in the in the laughing moment in the turbo lift. Yeah, and how they're gonna portray um, kind of that cold logical way that the character was written in in that series as well. Um, just well, basically, I, ha- I, I guess okay. I'm wondering how number one is gonna evolve between what we saw in the cage and what we're going to see in strange new worlds. Well, there was something that there was that the way he's talking about, um, women on the bridge. I need to find it because I thought it could, that's something they could really flesh out in strange new worlds. When he talks about, um, about how, Oh yeah, here it is. Um, when he, when he makes that comment, I can't get used to having a woman on the bridge. No offense, Lieutenant, you're different. Of course. And that's a that's something that they can explore. Why is she different? Like like what is it about her that that you know? I, and there I know mm. that there has been some treatment of that in the novels, and I haven't read any of them. But but people there are some novels that have really gone into the character of Number One and and kind of like what species she is and 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 what it is that that She's makes her different and unique not not in some i don't think she is in the novelizations or in the novels and i don't oh. know if that th- those aren't necessarily canon right mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. um but there are authors that have done some explorations of that character i think so one one thing i will say though in the cage is despite the way other characters treat her spike in particular um or women in general. I don't think I didn't catch anything about Number One's portrayal by Magil Barrett and the lines that she's given and the places that she's given that put her outside of the front lines. If that makes sense, like I didn't. I think she's portrayed as a as a strong character who's right there when they're blasting through the door, wearing the protective gear. Like a, she never pulls herself. Like she doesn't go hold yeah. somebody's hand for Mm-mm. support. And and so I I thought that that character has a pretty straight line in their attitude that you could draw as long as the mm-hmm. other characters aren't being assholes, which presumably right. given the seventy is it seventy years that have gone between the two, uh, sixty years that have gone between the two shows, <laughs> that's gonna change. Um, and so we I, I would I would I think that's one line that I draw between the two number ones that we've seen on the on the screen, mm-hmm. um, and. I I'll just be honest. I'm hoping that there isn't a romance between the captain and and number one. I think that was what I was kind of fishing for when I <laughs> introduced the topic. That I'm hoping that they leave this behind in the cage, yeah. and um, that that we get to see get to see something a little bit different than the kind of stereotypical oh, yeah, like Chakotay Janeway, like the captain and first officer kind of fell for each other thing. Well, and I I feel like uh, we there's at least like that arc of that. Uh, Pike ends up going back to Vina when he uh, uh, in the gla- or in the menagerie, and it's 
like we know that that's the end of that character and so i i feel like there's some way where they could just leave it as like maybe vena is for some reason his love interest and therefore we really don't have to explore that part of it in the in the series and we can kind of leave it as a more professional side of pike which was yeah. which and was one do... of the nice things in discoveries that he yes. doesn't fall for anybody Right. Well, and and they do they do uh, continue the Vina storyline and discovery. Yeah. Um. He and Vina have a connection. You know. Yeah. That's beyond, kind of what know, made so me there's think something that, that, it, right. that they would be able to leave it behind, uh, mm-hmm. or le- leave the uh, the number one and uh, Pike thing behind. That is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, I think another another aspect that I I have appreciated is the the ability of the two of them to be equals in strange new worlds or at least in their portrayal and discovery is it's not kind of your typical first officer captain relationship it, it's the two of them like they're partners in mm-hmm. in their operations at least that's the way i saw them in their portrayal and discovery um yeah. the case i think had so little interactions between the two of them that we didn't really get to see much of that dynamic yeah, they, they tried to set it up with kind of like the facts of the situation where I, I think he makes sure at one point to say, like, as the most experienced person on the ship, you're sh- you should be in charge or something like that. Right. But um, that's as far as we get for that. Which is, again, it's so strange that like they have Pike acknowledging that she's the most like experienced person on the, in the on the entire ship. And he's like, women on the bridge it don't make yeah. no sense to me. And it's like. <laughs> what yeah, yeah. Why, <laughs> like, why is she your first officer <laughs> like what is going on it's just so strange it's just so strange and i bet there's probably like if we go into like star trek lore there's probably some explanation of why all this happened which um people know but anyway um we should talk a little bit about the production uh, of this of these two episodes uh there's a bunch of different things that i could tell you like the, the fact that those two zoo monsters show up in a in in an episode in different episodes of a, of another uh nbc show called i think it was the outer limits the ape <laughs> creature had shown up before the bird creature would show up again later uh in in a future episode it was created for this pilot but then went on mm. to appear in the outer limits later uh leonard nimoy and uh, major barrett by the way are the only two series regulars who show up in both the cage and um and the final episode of yeah of of the original series as well but interesting the the cage was also the most expensive episode ever created for the original star trek series Uh, i i was i was thinking that when we were when i was watching the episode like there were a lot of sets going on and yes even though it's like the trash bag boulders or whatever like there was like a full castle thing they did and the i feel like the um the the backgrounds were were pretty compelling in terms of the uh sort of the the paintings that they had as backdrops for everything yeah yeah you know t- today star trek tos looks really low budget but it wasn't you know it was like a, yeah. like the most expensive show ever made at the time mm-hmm. so the production costs were reduced Thanks to the use of rear screen projection for images on the Enterprise's main view screen, which I thought was some of the best like effects that they had. So it's kind of funny to me to then read that that like reduced their budget. Out. <laughs> right. Um, this also. You, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, did you notice they really? And Adam, you kind of touched on this with your strange new take, I think. 
but they really focused on the technology in the cage. Mm -hmm. They didn't do that same focusing in the um, Where No Man Has Gone Before, but like the first time they used transporters in the cage, it took a really long time for the transporters to kind of warm up and get them transported. They have that scene where they really just focus on the communicator and you're like, ooh, this cool technology. So I felt like they were really, that was kind of one of the hooks I felt like they were trying to do with the cage was how we can explore these new kinds of technology that we've never experienced before well and they even did the same the same stupid sequence that's in encounter at farpoint which we'll talk about later uh where it's just like let's play the the main theme while nothing happens and we don't tell the actors to do anything and it's just like we're going to warp where like blue lights fall over our our faces while we just stare did you notice they call it a time warp yeah Yeah. (laughs) time warp warp factor five uh, yeah. right, so I, I I do think they led with the science a little bit more. I mean, it's related to the point you just made, but I actually like that time warp. I think it's more accurate to my strange new take. Yeah, uh, yes, yeah, I noticed they broke that the time then. barrier, which would be yeah. yeah you go and back they, in time if you go faster than the speed of light. Like that's a problem. And when they're approaching the planet, they provide a um like a gravity estimate. Oh like yeah, point yeah. nine G's of you know. Mm-hmm. So I think Although they, get they do into go the to point eight G's at some point uh, during where, uh, no man has gone where no man has gone before. Oh, so really? we, we okay. get the G's at least. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the um, so so we should talk about the fact that the cage was rejected and where no man has gone before ordered as a second pilot, which is pretty rare. And NBC said that they they declared that it was too cerebral. And apparently the network at its level was feeling exactly as I did. This is Robert Butler speaking. According to Gene Roddenberry, he had a similar response to the news. I sort of understood NBC's verdict. I wrote and produced what I thought was a highly imaginative idea, and I would realized I had gone too far. I should have actually ended it with a fist fight between the hero and the villain if I wanted it on television, because that's the way the shows were made at the time. The great mass audience would say, well, if you don't have a fist fight when it's ended, how do we know that that's the finish? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> there was a myth, though. So this is this is, by the way, all coming from Memory Alpha. So thank you, to whoever wrote this article on on the cage. The myth of the network wanting to eliminate the female first officer was debunked by a few people who wrote in Inside Star Trek: The Real Story. They say that the NBC supported the idea of a strong woman in a leading role. They only rejected Majel Barrett, feeling the actress is not talented enough to pull off such a role and carry a show as the co-star. They were NBC was also not satisfied with the majority of the actors in, in the cage. They also we also think you can do better with the ship's doctor, yeoman, and other members of the show. And uh, another thing that NBC was worried with when they learned about the cage was the overall eroticism, which I mentioned before. Most notably, mm-hmm. the scantily clad green dancing girls with the humps and grinds. That's a direct quote. This was a major <laughs> factor for not choosing Mud's women uh, later on as well. So oh my god. Yeah. They they should have left that one not chosen. <laughs> yeah, agreed. I mean, the way that they they portrayed and this uh, there's a quote here about it and it's not holding back on on what Mud's women is. So, yeah. Uh, I think that was where I watched that episode and I was like, maybe watching the original series isn't for me. And now with Bill no. saying the Enterprise incident is good, I'm going to go watch that instead. Um, yeah, the, the, should... there are a few choice ones that that you can watch, yeah. but I I don't know that I recommend like putting yourself through watching the full series yeah so so yeah so i mean what do you all think about about the the decision to to order the second pilot obviously it's the reason we're all here well they got the fist fight at the end they did 
Yeah. Um, another quick production element, I guess, that I should mention is, so I, we all watch different versions of The Cage. I watched the original 1986 uh, release, which, show, which had black and white elements of it got interspersed with color elements. So the color elements were actually taken from the film that was cut for the menagerie. They originally believed they had lost the version of the cage that then, or the, the film that had been cut uh, of the cage and not used in the menagerie. They thought they'd lost it until a couple of years later in 88, an archivist form found it somewhere. So, so I watched this kind of like half black and white, half color version. You guys watched the color version which was aired in 88 after the footage had been recovered. Mm-hmm. However, something that had been lost forever was the soundtrack to the, to the original Cage. So a lot of the music that you hear in the Cage today is actually from the Menagerie. So... Yeah, Maybe I, that's I, why I, they I, use the theme song so many times. Anyway, what, yeah, no. <laughs> I, I did recognize some of the... I think they have the Fight to the Death song in the Cage. Yeah. Um, uh, so I, all, yeah. two things that I find funny is episode sets the record where no man has gone before sets the record for the Enterprise crew members killed 12 in one episode some of whom are just mentioned as dead but still mm-hmm. also on the fifth day of filming uh, in 1965 a swarm of bees attacked the sets causing delays in filming and injuries to William Shatner and uh, Sally Kellerman what? That's so <laughs> William Shatner got attacked by a swarm of bees yeah, so I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> well, anyway, so uh, let's let's do our strange new ratings. Let's stick your necks out. And while you're sticking your necks out, I want you to give some feedback to Gene Roddenberry. Uh, and I think we've done a little bit of that already. So, but you can you can, <laughs> you, can you can give more feedback on what what needs to be changed uh, as we as we go on making Star Trek in the '60s here. Oh, uh, yeah. So this this is really hard for me because I I've gone back and forth. Uh, I I think I I used to be in agreement that the cage is a better pilot, but I just I just bounced off of uh, Pike in this this rewatching of it. So I I feel like I I agree that that Kirk is a more compelling uh, character in terms like I think that the the casting of uh, of where no man has gone before is a bit more effective. I feel like the characters are connected to each other in a more interesting way. Um, and the, yeah, my, my, my notes are basically, uh, please tone down all of the like random misogyny for no reason, uh, that's happening throughout the episodes. But, um, I think it's the, I, I maybe want to merge a little bit. I, I like the idea of having a, having character points driving our characters forward and uh, sort of connecting episodes to one another that that's not something that we really did that much in the final series, which now this is a very confusing rating where I'm like comparing it it to the future shows that I already know exist. (laughs) But uh, I don't know that I would put either of these as a, as a a high on the rewatchability. I think I might give uh, the uh, where no man has gone before a six, uh, and the uh, the cage is going to be a five for me. All right, uh, why don't I jump in over here? I I actually feel like the cage. Honestly, it is the the only series of the original series that I would say that I can go back and watch it again. 
Um, so I'm going to give that a six and a half out of 10. It's, it's a little bit below my usual seven, but I, I, I can deal with the like hard sci-fi elements of it. And I like that it doesn't have a lot of like fisticuffs. Um, so if I was the NBC executive giving Gene Roddenberry feedback, I'd be like more of that, please. That's different to everything else that's on TV. I'm running a network that doesn't rely on people watching its shows. So please, uh, give me some of that and, uh, let's not do all of the sexual stuff immediately to start off. So why don't you make a different episode that maybe shows the captain losing his crew and then we can deal with the captain having some trauma because that was really interesting, Gene. I want more of that. Also, can we flesh out the relationship between number one and Captain Pike without him undermining her in front of the rest of the bridge crew? That'd be great. So let's have more of that, please. Uh, if I had to rate where no man has gone before, I'm giving that a... I'm going to give that a, a 6 on 10. It wasn't terrible, but like, yeah. You know, dude getting superpowers. I was, I, my feedback to Gene Roddenberry would be, like, that's, that's a little cliche, Gene. A Superman uh, causing havoc. Like, it's a little played out, buddy. Uh, how about we deal with some complex stuff? Also, who are all these people? Like, you don't, I, I don't know who any of these characters are. Uh, tell me something about them, buddy. Like, why are they on stage? Like, they, they just seem to be telling stuff to the captain. I, I need to, I need to understand them, uh, uh, before, before you do anything else with them. So please, please, Mr. Roddenberry, give me some of that. Okay, I'll go next. Um, <clears throat> you know, of, of course, my, my feedback as a, like, 1960s NPC exec would be to... <laughs> Um, would probably not be to, to cut it out with the sexism, but um, that, that is, you know, <laughs> give us more. as a modern day person. Yes. Um, and I, you know, I think that, um, yeah, I, 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 I would give uh, the cage a seven and where no man has gone before uh, a six and some actual constructive feedback, which, which he goes on to follow would be to, um, uh, include more like political intrigue and allegory for modern day events that will connect with the audience. And I think they, they did go on to have uh, multiple successes there later on. <clears throat> okay. So I've reached a point in my life where I am tired of giving people a pass because things were created in a time when sexism was okay and objectification <laughs> of women was celebrated. So I'm going to give both of them a four. Um, because I just, that's why, it's why I can't watch, um, oh yeah, this out of 10. So I'll give each of them a two. Um, (laughs) but I, I'm just over it. It's why I can't watch Mad Men. Um, and I understand, I, I partly understand why Mad Men was doing like showing the portrayal of women the way they were. I've only watched the first half of the first season, but I just had to stop because I've just gotten a point in my life where I'm just done watching that. And I don't want to support things that kind of perpetuate it or Mm -hmm. keep it going because you know we still live in a time where men think they can just grope women like they can just you know anyway whatever i can get into that another time but i'm just tired of it so i'm giving them both a two out of a two for that i couldn't be a network executive in the 1960s but since we're going from the year 2021 i could be a network executive now um i think i would i i do like that there is some um, potentially um, interesting character development that could be taking place with Captain Pike in that first series. And so I think I would, um, I, I think I'd, I agree with, you all kind of talked about this a little bit, but I, th- I think that's something that's interesting to explore and, and to find ways um, to explore that 
and you can do that without him um like not said being dismissive and undermining his first officer um for being a woman or you know like there so mm-hmm. i think there are some interesting ways that they can play that out um and and also i think it would be and my my recommendation with no man where no man has gone before um is that you can show uh characters getting godlike powers without them uh sexually harassing women so <laughs> again i think you can i think you can show some of these things and and tell a story without the women being objectified and sexually harassed or assaulted in the process so all right. Well, we've given Mr. Roddenberry a lot of great feedback today. And uh, I think our job here at the NBC pilot watching uh, house <laughs> is is done. So we shall return next week. And we're going to go through these chronologically, dear listeners. So we're going to watch the um, next generation next, which I'm so glad we don't need to watch Code of Honor because I'm never going to do that for this podcast. Uh, <laughs> like... Uh, is that what it's called, right? Episode three of the next mm-hmm. generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Are, yeah are, not... are we just snubbing the animated series here? Oh, oh good. Yeah, point. got animated series because that's how, that's how we have eight, right? Is there is there a pilot for the animated series? I think you just do the first episode. Okay. Yeah, I, honestly, I have no idea the the construction of it, but it 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 is a show that exists. It is I, a show I can't that say that it's good. Is it yesteryear? Is that the first episode of the animated series? I can't remember. Uh, well, I, I, this is my fault, y'all. I forgot about that. Um, I had completely blanked on the existence of that show. So <laughs> when I was thinking about what we're doing next, but you're absolutely right. We are going to be watching, uh, the animated series next. Uh, I'm, as I speak right now, f- frantically looking up what the pilot is called so that beyond I can... Beyond the Farthest Star. Beyond the Farthest Star. We're going to watch the first episode of the animated series, which I have always known was Beyond the Farthest Star. <laughs> so watch that before you listen to our next episode. Uh, with that, thank you, Bill. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Adam, for joining me today. Uh, thank, thank you, Nash. Thanks, Nash. Always happy to be here. Uh, thank you, Rudy, Dinah, and Max, wherever y'all are. Hopefully, y'all can join us next week as we watch the well-known pilot of the well-known series animated series beyond the farthest star and uh thank you dear listener as always for showing up we always appreciate that you're listening and watching along with us uh also want to thank uh jishnu guha who recorded our theme music uh and uh yeah special thanks to that uh navigator guy in the first episode he's just such an excitable young man you know <laughs> he got yeah, a lot of action go get her like let's be in space uh, and get get some nice space stuff going on attitude. He was just like so excitable. Like I, I was like, that was me. Uh, if I was on the Enterprise, I'd be like, yeah, let's do this. So, so thanks, dude, for being there uh, the whole time. All right, everybody, we'll return next week with Beyond the Farthest Star. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.